0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Hi, I'm Irene Watson, Managing Editor of Reader Views in Austin, Texas.
1: And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. You can hear our show every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Today's topic is Breaking Out of the Bookstore, and our special guest who will be joining us this hour is Shel Horowitz of FrugalMarketing.com. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is AuthorsAccess.com. Starting the week of February 19th, our podcast will be heard on a new radio station, AuthorsView.com. Please check our website for updates. Now Tonight, we'll be speaking with award-winning marketing expert, Shel Horowitz of PrincipledProfit.com. He'll be sharing with us problems and solutions for working with bookstores, when to try non-bookstore markets, understanding your competition, and how to use bookstore appearances to leverage publicity. Shell will also be speaking about how authors can get paid to market their own books and how even small, self-published authors can garner publicity. Now, Shell is the author of seven books, his two most recent being Grassroots Marketing for Authors and Publishers and Principled Profit, Marketing that Puts People First. He is a copywriter and marketing publishing consultant, specializing in ethical, affordable, and effective approaches. Mr. Horowitz is also the founder of the International Business Ethics Pledge. And now we're going to go to this week's special guest, Shell Horowitz. Good evening to you, Shell. And good evening, Victor and Irene. It's good to be here.
2: Yeah, there's a a lot of ground to cover here, and as you laid out in the introduction, I, I think maybe the place to start with is the idea that Most authors, I think, believe that bookstores are going to be where their books are sold. Uh, And yet, if you talk to industry experts such as Dan Pointer, Dan Pointer will say, quote, unquote, bookstores are a lousy place to sell books. Why the discrepancy? It's because for a lot of us, especially nonfiction writers, we write about a particular topic, and it's much easier to reach people by going after the people who are interested in that topic Rather than people who are interested in books and happen to see a book about that topic, and I'm somebody actually with my seven books, I have really only had one of them that did anything substantial in the bookstores. And I am married to a fiction writer who does fairly well in bookstores. She has a book with Simon and Schuster that's gone into a third printing in less than a year, and bookstores are a big part of, of her success. So, for some authors, it's a great thing, but for others, like myself, I do better elsewhere. And the the reason is that the people who want what I have, the intersection of those people with the people who are in a bookstore browsing may turn out to be very, very small. For example, I was actually a little bit surprised with my book, "Principal Profit, Marketing That Puts People First. I kind of expected that bookstores would be interested in it. It came out in 2003 when Enron and other corporate scandals were still very much in the news, and I had the very discouraging experience of exhibiting at the New England Booksellers Association along with other members of independent publishers of New England, and I would watch as booksellers made a beeline for our table, went right by my book without even glancing at it, and went to pick up regional guidebooks of one thing or another. And I just thought, wow, this this is telling, isn't it? Uh, Here's a book that's won an award. It's been reprinted by two foreign publishers. It has 70-something endorsements, including some fairly big names, such as Jack Canfield of Chicken Soup and J. Conrad Levinson of Guerrilla Marketing, and bookstores don't even notice it. It's invisible to them. They didn't even get as far as turning it over to see the price or asking me about distributors. It was just, it didn't exist. And yet, this is a book that I have had people literally stop me on the street say, what's that you're carrying? I need that book. Here's $20. Don't worry about the change. Give it to me now. And I've had that happen a number of times. So clearly, my market, it would be more effective for that book, for me to just walk up and down the street showing it to people than it is to be in a bookstore.
0: Michelle, so what I heard you say is with a nonfiction, basically you go after the audience, your yeah. reading audience then. So basically what you need to do is promote it to your target rather right. than expecting somebody to go to the bookstore and buying it.
2: Yeah, and the nice thing is in this very segmented and technological world that we live in, it's actually extremely easy to do that. We have marketing tools at our disposal that were unimaginable even 15 years ago, and they're very democratized. They cost little or nothing, and you as a one-person self-publisher can be in some ways able to use these tools better than a Random House or a Simon & Schuster. I'm talking primarily about tools on the Internet, and there are a lot of ways that you can find audiences that are a very, very close match on the Internet. For my new book, which is supposed to be shipped from the printer tomorrow, I'm very excited Grassroots Marketing for Authors and Publishers, I went to three different discussion lists on the subject of independent publishing, and I also went to newsletter readers, particularly Dan Pointer's newsletter, and I actually Not only did I research the book and its market there, but I actually asked people to send me their number one wish for what a book like this should cover, as well as their number one success story. And there are lots of these in the book. So I went directly to my audience and said, what kind of book should I write? And it was, it was very easy. In fact, there's a whole chapter on distribution that wouldn't be there without that process. Because as somebody who doesn't sell in bookstores, it might not have even occurred to me to put in a chapter about distribution. But a fairly high percentage of the people who responded to my informal survey said, tell me how to get a distributor. So there's a chapter on, on working that part of the system.
0: So what about online bookstores?
2: What about them? Can you be more specific with the question? Sure.
0: How about selling or getting them onto online bookstores?
2: What I certainly is- want to do that.
0: Yes, absolutely. Uh, I find, as a reader, that Amazon.com
2: is an incredibly valuable research tool, and as a writer as well. There's, I have a whole chapter in the new book about working with Amazon, in fact, that you can get a very good sense of what's out there in the market and also how well it's doing you can see the sales rank of pretty much any book that's up there. And if you see that that sales rank has seven figures on it, you know that that book has basically no market share on Amazon. So if all of the books in your category have seven figures in the sales rank, you might want to rethink whether in fact there's actually a market for this book before you go out and write it. you, you definitely. The other wonderful thing about the online bookstores is that in a physical bookstore, the unknown author, if they're lucky, has a quarter inch of shelf space or a half inch of shelf space with just the spine showing, no displays, no additional sales aids, uh, nothing but the buzz that the author is able to generate. Whereas in an online bookstore, you have the cover, you have Excerpts, you have uh, reader reviews, you have all this material to help you do a much more effective job of selling your book. And I, I'm sure you've probably come across the long tail theory that's been spread around in Wired Magazine and, and others that you can have little tiny niches that have a, a great deal of impact for very small audiences, and you can afford to publish very profitably for those audiences, something that was not possible in the the era of mass marketing that was within our lifetimes.
0: You uh, spoke about Amazon, um, Shell, and uh, as a review service, I'm finding that a number of particularly self-published authors refuse to list their book on Amazon, and to me it just seems like they're shooting themselves in the foot, really, because... Well,
2: yeah, it's sort of like not having a website.
0: Exactly. That um, too. (laughs) I,
2: I do not understand why anybody would not want to take advantage of, even if you don't sell books very much on Amazon, the publicity and marketing apparatus that it gives you is unbeatable, and it's free or nearly free. It costs little or nothing to do these things, and they have all these extra features, like you can have a blog that every time anybody clicks on one of your books or a book you've reviewed, they see your blog. And unlike a normal blog, you don't have to keep this very current. I, I only post a couple of times a year to my Amazon blog, but it's there for anybody to see my most recent post. And they, they have a ton of stuff like that. I, I miss one thing that they used to have that I guess was abused. It was the recommend in edition or instead of feature. And I was always finding books that were kind of like my book and recommending mine in edition. Um, I hope they bring that back at some point.
0: And so, of course, there is besides uh, Amazon, there are other online bookstores. And uh, uh, I would imagine that you would suggest that every, the authors really look for what other Online bookstores, they can post their books in and uh, sell them that way.
2: Yeah, and particularly the ones that are genre specific. I mean, yeah, you'll want to be in Amazon and BN and Borders and all the biggies. But there are also, if you write mysteries or science fiction or business books, there are sites that are specific to this. Uh, Victor and I are, are listmates on one of these small press discussion lists, and there's another very active poster named Sheila Ruth. She's got a site called wandsandworlds.com in which she reviews age-appropriate fantasy and science fiction books, or she and her staff of reviewers, for parents who are trying to figure out which book would my kid like if they like this one. It's a great service she's doing, and it's great marketing for anybody who writes a children's book in that genre.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, Shell, can you speak a little bit about blogs and how you can turn you know a blog into a book sale sure well the biggest thing about a blog is that it's
2: a dynamic approach to building websites it's one of the seven different approaches i discuss in grassroots marketing for authors and publishers Uh, and the thing about a blog is that when you put up a new website a static website one where the pages don't change google will probably not index you for several months whereas the search engines just love blogs, absolutely love them. And if you host your blog on blogger.com, which is owned by Google, your pages will be indexed immediately. And I, what I do is I host my blog both on wordpress.com, which is actually hosted on my own principal profit site, and also I have a mirror on blogger. So every time I post to WordPress, my assistant then puts that post up on Blogger, so that Google indexes it instantly. And I wouldn't, however, trust my entire blog, my only copy of my blog to Blogger, because I want to be in control of it. We don't know what's going to happen if two, three years down the road they decide to start charging for blogs, or if they go out of business, or if they sell that off to some horrible outfit that's not pleasant to deal with. So I'm covering my bases by having the blog in two places, one of which I have total control over. Um, you know, the blog is a different model. What A blog is very fast, very immediate, not as well organized, but, and, and constantly changing. And it is kind of annoying to have to dig through old posts and find, a, uh, if you're looking for an archived blog that is several months old, it's not always easy to locate it. So I certainly, my recommendation is not to do only a blog, but to certainly include a blog in your website. There are advantages to static websites and to dynamic ones, and I like to do both. And the web is a very, very, very powerful arsenal, not just a tool, but but just a whole toolkit. And it has tremendous power and possibility. And There's a lot of ways to do it. And also, I am a believer in having more than one website if you have more than one offer. So I used to have everything all under one big umbrella at frugalfund.com. I'm now running something like nine websites. Um, I have frugalfund.com for my book on Having Fun Cheaply, which is actually out of print and I converted it to an ebook. I have frugalmarketing.com where you can find the original grassroots marketing, Getting Noticed in a Noisy World, which I did not self-publish. And I have a site just for the Grassroots for Authors and Publishers book, which is Grassroots Marketing for Authors. And I have a site just for Principled Profit, which is principledprofit.com. And then I have a site for the Business Ethics Pledge campaign, which is uh, a a movement that I started in part to give some legs to the book, Principled Profit, but also in part to make the world a better place. And that's businessethicspledge.org, my only .org site. And then I administer my wife's site, ddinafriedman.com, where you can read about her two novels which were published by Big New York Houses. And we chose with that one to do a very warm and fuzzy site with pictures of the family and pictures of the farm we live on and that sort of thing. And each of these is different. It would be very, very hard to do all of this with one site.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm totally with you on that. The one-size-fits-all is sort of a 1990s approach, and I even have... Different websites for different product lines of my my own books.
2: Yeah, it's also to have a good idea to have one that has all of it. Like my order page is on frugalmarketing.com, and it has everything. Right. Uh, and from there, you can link out. If people want to know more about a particular book, they just click on it, and they'll get taken to the appropriate website.
1: Cool. Uh, I'm guessing since you're not focusing on the bookstores, that you probably have a very different pre public excuse me pre publication publicity model than the traditional advanced reader copy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I
2: do use advanced reader copies, but I'm selective where I send them. Uh, For this current book, I'm actually doing on-demand printing, and therefore I did not send a galley to Publishers Weekly because they want to see a 2,000 copy press run or more, so why waste one with them? Um, I did send to Library Journal. I think I sent to Kirkus and a few other places. But I don't put a lot of weight on those. I seek out independent reviewers. I notify my own mailing lists. I have among my three major monthly newsletters that I do about 10,000 people total, so they all heard about my book, and quite a number of them bought it. I, I post to appropriate discussion lists. I um, contact people in the genre who might operate websites and might want to be resellers for me and pay them a commission. Um, And I do actually quite a bit less with the traditional media than I used to. With my Frugal Fun Book, I was sexy to the media. I was able to get amazing coverage in traditional media. We are talking about multiple appearances in Women's Day and uh, Christian Science Monitor and a lot of other places that people have heard of. And I have found with the business books, it's much harder to get that kind of publicity, and I'm not trying as hard for it these days. But that I, um, I find people say that it's very difficult to get reviews for a self-published book. Four of my seven books are self-published or partially self-published, and the partially being grassroots marketing for authors and publishers, where there's kind of a funny story here in that I approached an executive that I know at infinity publishing i went up to him at bea and said hey i've got this new thing coming out i think you might want to buy one for all your authors and he looked at it and he said send me the manuscript and i sent it to him which um, has evolved quite a bit since then and he said, well, actually, I'd like to publish this. And I said, but I'm publishing it, <laughs> um, which is not a conversation you hear very often in, in publishing circles. It's, it's fairly rare to, for a self-publisher to, to actually turn down an offer. But I I didn't turn it down. We ended up co-publishing. And since I dislike dealing with bookstores and dislike dealing with the wholesalers and all, there's going to be an edition by Infinity Publishing, which is a subsidy press, and my first time dealing with a subsidy press. Uh, And they will have the bookstore market. And that means I don't have to join Amazon Advantage I don't have to deal with returns from Baker and Taylor. I just have to collect my checks as they sell books for me. And meanwhile, I will be selling on my websites and uh, through my speeches and all that I do. And I think it will work out very nicely. It's, it's unusual. Um, and and uh, let's get in a little bit to what really, if you're going to do bookstores, what you're up against and how you might make it work. First of all, the days of the mid-list author are pretty much dead. When I did a book with Simon & Schuster, I sold it to them in 1991. It was published in 1993, Marketing Without megabox. It's now out of print, but all the content is incorporated into the original grassroots marketing, Getting Noticed in a Noisy World. Uh, but at that point, I had two years before I got the letter that said, we are just continuing your book, do you want to buy it back? which was something that I had inserted in my contract and uh, was very glad that I did because I bought back almost 2,000 copies and really began my self-publishing career by remarketing that book. These days, you will have somewhere between three and six months to prove yourself in a bookstore if you're with a big publisher. That is a very, very short window, and it's really challenging to get your publicity machine up and running at exactly the right moment. You can't do it too early because your book won't be available. You can't do it too late because your book will have already been returned or maybe even shredded. <laughs> so it's, it's a real tricky little dance there and one that I, I'm not a ballerina. I choose not to do that dance. So if, if you are going to be working in bookstores, you really have to be very organized and very assertive and ready to move fast. And you're going to want to do events, and you're going to want to get publicity for those events, and you want to get a crowd to those events. And this is what my wife did. She basically pulled out all the stops to get everybody we know to an event either here in Massachusetts where we live or in New York City where we grew up. And in those two places, her bookstore sales were very, very good. The typical average bookstore event sells, you know, five or 20 copies, she did three or four of them that sold 50 to 70. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. But then you, there's only so many times you can go back to the well. Uh, and it would make no sense for her to do an author event in some place like Detroit, where we don't know
1: anybody except Victor. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I'd like to remind people that you're listening to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Tonight's topic is Breaking Out of the Bookstore, and our special guest this hour is Shell Horowitz. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views and Loving Healing Press. Starting the week of February 19th, our podcast will be heard on a new radio station, AuthorsView.com. Please check our website for updates.
0: Shell, you had uh, mentioned how you dislike dealing with bookstores, and that just kind of brought me to uh, when I wrote my book and had this pie in the sky because I would go into one of the big stores and see visualize my book in there to realize that actually they wouldn't even carry it because my publisher would not take returns. Oh. So that was kind of a rude awakening after the fact. And uh, I think this is something that well, I just didn't do the research. I just had to say a pie in the sky, which I think a lot of authors do have when they first start and write their first book and.
2: Yeah, that's part of why I did the Grassroots for Authors book is because I want people to know the realities. And, you know, in 2004, 181,189 different ISBNs were published just in the United States. Now, there's only 365 days a year. There's only room in the typical bookstore for a few tens of thousands of books, And, of course, you're going to have some space there for Charlotte's Web and the One Minute Manager and the other books that that never go out of print. So the window on the shelves to get new books in, particularly if you're not dealing with a known publisher, it's hard. It's very hard, as you experienced, Irene. Uh Bookstores have this idea that they can essentially take their inventory on consignment, spill coffee on it, and send it back for full credit. (laughs) This is not a viable business model for most of us small publishers. It works uh, for the Random Houses and Simon and Schuster's of the world because they get the occasional Harry Potter or Kite Runner to tide them over with a million or five million copies to subsidize all the books that don't even earn out their advance. And it's in fact pretty rare for a book to earn out its advance. Not that the publisher is necessarily losing money on that. I I ran the numbers as best as I could guess for my Simon and Schuster book, and I figured that Simon and Schuster actually grossed um, netted over expenses. Oh, I forget if around twenty-five or thirty thousand dollars. So they didn't lose money, but the book did not earn back its advance. And um, I did get. I will give them this: their distribution network is excellent. This was in the pre-internet era. I got typed or handwritten fan mail from as far away as India and the Philippines, which was very nice. <laughs>
0: of course, of course. A big, big boost
2: for the ego, let me tell you. But um, as far as they they actually sold about eight thousand copies, um, and they did very, very little to promote the book. <laughs> what they did, they got me two radio phoners, about a dozen. Print reviews, of which two were significant, and they paid me back thirty dollars to send press releases that I wrote and I customized for different audiences to a media list that I developed, and that was their
0: promotion plan, and that is more than most people get now exactly i'm was quite surprised when you're telling me that how much promotion you did get,
2: yeah, well again, this was in the days when a book had two years to prove itself. Mm-hmm, those days are gone. We're in a different era entirely now. They printed 11,000 copies, and um, which for them is, is nothing. But uh, uh, the nice thing about them printing that many copies is that when I got to buy back the last 1900, I was able to get them at print cost, which was only $1.59 for this 400-page book. <laughs> Which uh, I certainly couldn't have printed myself at that price. No.
0: <laughs> you sure can't. Michelle, earlier in the, your talk you had mentioned about resellers. Explain to our audience what a reseller is. Well, basically, you are getting other people to put your
2: stuff out to their audience whether it's through a e or a newsletter or as a flyer stuffer that goes out with their book, you have people who have decided it is in their interest to tell other people about you. One of the reasons they may be telling other people about you is because you're paying them to do it, but you're paying based on results. So if somebody joins my affiliate program, for example, and they sell a paperback copy of one of my books, I pay them 25% of the sale price before shipping. If they sell an ebook, where I have no cost, I will pay them 50%, and there is no shipping. Um, Amazon.com, actually, a lot of the reason why Amazon.com got as big as it did, as fast as it did, is that very early on, they spent some enormous sum on custom programming, and they developed the first viable affiliate program uh, around. And what they did, they were very clever, is they went to niche websites. Uh, let's say you had a website about some rare disease, or you had a website about cooking with truffles, and they'd say, hey, um, here's a service you can offer for your visitors that will also make you a little bit of money. You can offer books in your field. You can select the best books, or whatever books you want, and you can send people to Amazon with one click to buy it, and if they buy, then you'll get somewhere between the various points, it's been 5 to 15%, depending on whether it was a direct click or a look around after I got their click. Uh, so thousands and thousands of websites and newsletters signed up to have their own bookstore without having to handle any inventory, without having to do any bookkeeping. They just got their little checks from Amazon. And some people, I have heard of people who have made several tens of thousands of dollars a year as Amazon affiliates. My own experience is dismal as an Amazon affiliate. I do it mostly as a service to people, That if I'm writing about a book, they should be able to click on it. Um, But people do report, some of them, that they're actually making a viable income through this. And it's, again, no hassle and a great convenience for their readers who can get all these obscure books.
0: So what you were suggesting, then, is authors provide an affiliate their own website yeah yeah I don't sell a lot of books that way but I'm glad to sell the ones that I do
2: and I'm also being talked about in these places and I also I've done some some rather you might say bizarre promotions that have enabled me to get in front of a lot of people also one of them was that I decided when principal profit came out that I'd like to crack the Amazon top 100 for a day I was not the first person to do this. Actually, Irene's Texas neighbor, Joe Vitale, I think was the first, Mm -hmm. uh, to do a one-day buy-my-book campaign at Amazon. What made my campaign different is I wanted to be the first person to sell my book this way on the merits and not by the attraction of a boatload of bonuses. So the only bonus I offered was an e-book copy of the exact same book. And therefore, I could legitimately claim that nobody was buying this for the bonuses. They were buying it for the book. And I have... Uh, I'm a big schmoozer and networker, and I know a lot of people, and I went to various e publishers, and I said, um, I'd like your help with this. And by the way, if you're an Amazon affiliate, you can earn a little bit of money. I, I think the vast majority didn't even put their affiliate links. I think they just... Um, Did it for the goodness of their hearts, but I I am estimating that I got information about my book um, in September 2003 when it was very, very recently out in front of 200,000 people or so, and my Amazon sales rank shot from a million and a half all the way to 82 in one day. And it, of course, settled back down fairly quickly, but it never, ever, ever got into the, anywhere near the seven figures. It's been in the mid-sixes. So, And, and nor will it ever, I think. The, the cumulative sales history of that book will keep it ever from going above the million mark, which is good because a book that's got a sales rank of a million-something in Amazon is a book that doesn't move at all.
1: Yeah, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shell, can you tell us a little bit about the... Uh, Affiliate software you're using, if you're allowed to tell us. that Um, It's not a question of allowed. It's a question of
2: I don't really know. Um, (laughs) I have a virtual assistant, and she has set it up. I, I know that it involves a combination of Mal's script archive, which is freeware, and a little bit of custom tweaking of that, and PayPal, and also an interface to take actual credit cards. But I... Really don't have the information about how it actually works. I do want to talk about the other big promotion I did that also got me in front of 200,000 eyeballs or so, and that was when I launched the Business Ethics Pledge. When the book was a year old, is I went back to those newsletter editors and I said, "I'm going to change the world. Um, I wrote this book that can change the world, but more than that, I need to get out and let people know." And I want to see. I heard you talking about tipping points just as I was joining the conversation. Mm -hmm. and I wanted to see if I could create a tipping point that would make crooked business as unthinkable a decade later as slavery is today. So I went back to these people, and I started the pledge, and I got in front of a lot of newsletter editors and got my first, I don't know, hundred or so signatures this way. And what's interesting is that that has led to some very interesting things. Uh, It has led to some new colleague relationships, it has led to, I'm going to be speaking in Las Vegas this fall, to a group of people in the capital markets, which is something I know absolutely nothing about. But the person organizing this conference happens to be an early signer and big supporter of this business ethics pledge. So when he needed to find a keynote speaker, he thought immediately of me. And we, uh, Victor mentioned in his introduction talking about getting paid for doing your own marketing. Well, public speaking is one of my favorite ways to do that. Here, I'm going to be flown out to Las Vegas, and they'll cover my expenses, and they will pay me my standard fee, which is in the four figures, low four figures, uh, which is relatively cheap for a professional speaker. But yeah, okay. um, um, I, you know, in, in some years that may go up, but right now that's what I feel like I can legitimately charge. And I can reasonably expect that roughly 25% of the people in the room will buy my book, at least one book, and that 2 or 3% of the people in the room will explore the possibility of my doing some consulting or copywriting. And that's really where I make most of my living. Book sales are another way of getting paid to do my own marketing, really. I, I could not really make a living on what I do from selling books. But in selling Copywriting services to a primarily independent publisher audience. When people know that they can get a really, really dynamite press release or a book jacket cover copy or, or something like that from me, or if I can help them walk through the whole publishing process, which might take several months and involve many hours of my time, and I do find that the ethics work I've done has attracted a, a better class of client for that. The people who are interested in that are really. I've done some wonderful projects. I have this guy. Who came to me a couple of years ago to produce his book, and we started by editing the manuscript. He was all prepared to go to one of the subsidy houses, and I talked him into self-publishing, real self-publishing, and I walked him through every step of the process. And uh, his book is called Winning the Game of Life. It's about the Ten Commandments in the modern world, and he's done quite well in the Christian market, and he's very happy, and I'm very happy.
1: Great, yeah, that sounds like a perfect uh, synergy. I, I heard you mention easing just a few minutes ago, and, and how does that tie in with um, some of the other strategies? Well,
2: I think the whole landscape of media has changed so much, and there are two big trends about that. One is that mainstream media has gone very superficial. They have forgotten that they're supposed to be out there chasing news, and instead they're chasing celebrity bathing suits. Um, and that means less opportunity for those of us who write serious books in the mainstream media. But the other thing that's happened is the incredible democratization of media. Anybody can be a publisher. You can set up an e-zine in five minutes flat. You can set up a blog in five minutes flat. You can set up a radio program that takes a little bit more doing, but not much. Um, and most of this stuff can be done for free. So the, the old network of samizats and mimeo uh, newsletters, has been replaced by this wonderful electronic world, where with no capital investment, anybody can be a publisher, and then they just have to build readership. So you have bloggers, which we talked about before. You have e publishers, and e is simply a newsletter that is published by email. You have webzines. Uh, you have what uh, are wikis, uh, which are uh, encyclopedias that people can actually edit. Um, you can somebody else can write an article about something, and you can you can put in your own comments about what you think that article should have. Uh, There's a lot more interactivity, and there are a lot of these people who have a few hundred or a few thousand readers and who really are very valued to those readers. In fact, I'll I'll tell another story that this was not an Internet medium, but the principle is the same. I once got a review copy request for Marketing Without Megabucks that was on... It was not on stationery. It was just tossed off and had the guy's name, and I'd never heard of him. And um, I thought it was a fake. I thought it was just a scam to get a free book, but I will never, ever throw those away unanswered. So I wrote him a little note, and I filed the file name for that was Bogus Review Copy Response, uh, because I fully expected that he was bogus, and I said, I'd be (laughs) glad to send you a a copy of the book if you send me a copy of your newsletter, and... um, got this, uh, this ugly mimeograph sheet back, but it was, it was targeted to my audience, and I figured, what the hell, you know, I'll sell five copies. Well, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. This guy has 3,000 subscribers, mailing them postally, and I get 60 orders, full price. That's wow. incredible. It, it means that one in every five readers bought a book. And then I wrote him a thank you note, and he was touched by the thank you note, and he ran his review again, and I sold another bunch of books. <laughs> and here I was about I was almost ready to throw away his request. And it was the actually the most sales I've ever gotten from a review was him.
0: That's incredible.
2: Yeah. Now I've not done as well with e-zine publishers and bloggers and whatnot, but it's it's not unusual to sell five or ten or twenty or thirty copies um by by doing that. And also by participating in uh not easy in so much as discussion lists. I have sold a number of books that way. And actually, the way I started with this is many years ago, 1995, when I had just gotten online uh, only a year earlier. And this is the first discussion group that I ever stayed with. I had joined one that I went left with my tail between my legs because I uh, didn't understand the culture and got off on a bad footing. But then I found this other one. It was called the Internet Marketing Discussion List. It's been gone probably eight years, which is a shame because it was wonderful. And I wrote a post, and I talked about some of the marketing strategies that I was doing in my very early online days to sell marketing without megabucks, which I had just bought back from Simon & Schuster. And I said, why didn't this work? And this is what I did, one, two, three, four. And first of all, I got an earful about why those strategies were not good, and that was really the beginning of my education as an Internet marketer. But second, I sold a bunch of books through that posting. And he said, oh, this is kind of (laughs) cool. And, um, uh, you know, so over time, it was within a year after that, I had found the first of the various self-publishing discussion groups that I'm on, or that evolved into the ones that I'm on. And I I started seeking out lists where, number one, I could learn, and I could uh, hone my own skills and knowledge. And number two, I could teach and inspire people to trust in me that I knew what I was talking about and buy my books and hire me to do consulting and copywriting. And that has actually been the, the single biggest factor in my transition from running a locally focused writing shop um, with low-paying clients to running an international business and having people range. And some people just pay me a quick $145 for a press release, a short press release, and, and others might pay me Five or $10,000 over a period of several months. So all of this has come to me because of my participation in Internet discussion groups, my relationships that I build with editors of Internet e-zines. And this is very easy. If somebody runs an article that I like, I'll just drop them a piece of fail mail, fan mail, or even drop them a note saying, I am the editor of these webzines, and may I reprint your article? And I get known. In fact, just today I was listening on a teleseminar, and it was one of the ones where people who are on the call early enough can actually introduce themselves. And I said, this is Shel Horowitz, author of Principal Prophet from Hadley, Massachusetts. And the guy who was running the call, who is a very, very successful author who writes about persuasion, he almost dropped the phone. And he said, Shel Horowitz. And he, pre- he proceeded then to tell his audience who I was. <laughs> and he said, well, here's this brilliant marketer who's on the phone with us. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And this is because I build relationships with people just by sending them quick little notes that take me a minute or two. Let's say I like this article or or because they've stumbled across my book somewhere. And I, I get far more clients from my participation in museums and discussion lists than I do from all those websites that I run.
1: People yeah, I often say... will...
2: <laughs> I'm sorry, Victor, what
1: was that? Uh, well, when uh, Irene mentioned your name, you know, I had an instant reaction too. I guess... We have to get him on.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, you've been seeing my name on the self-pub list for, what, five years? Yeah. Yeah. So you knew exactly who I was. And it's very nice because I don't have to do a lot of selling. I don't have to convince you that you're somebody I wanna that you
0: want to have on the show. You already knew that. And, uh, uh, and this works. This really does work. It really does. Creating relationships is so important. And... Uh, it's just more so even important for an author who does want to market their book because, especially, non unknown author. Yeah,
2: in principal profit, actually, I discuss in some detail the idea of even creating relationships with your customers, and this is something that's particularly easy to do in the book industry because. Do you know anybody who collects one book on a subject? Hmm. You walk into the uh, home of a golfer and they will have a bookshelf of golf books. It may be the only books they have. Um, You walk into the home of somebody who's a foodie, and they will have a shelf of cookbooks or several shelves. Uh, So there's no competition in the sense of uh, if they buy from you, they're not going to buy from me. That just doesn't apply. But even companies where there is that kind of competitive relationship, who could think of companies more competitive than IBM and Apple? If you buy... The most people, most of us, do not buy a computer for every room. So if you've bought an IBM, you're not likely to buy an Apple for a couple of years. And yet, these companies joined together, along with Motorola, to develop the chip architecture that powered most of the computers of the
0: 90s. Well, Shell, gosh, I'm just looking at the clock here, and unfortunately we're running out of time. We could just go on and on and on here, because you're just full of information. So just to close up, Shell, could you give us sort of a briefing over bookstore versus non-bookstore markets, sort of closing off comments from you? Yeah, but I do want to tell people that
2: if they want more information, there's a lot of it on my various websites, and particularly frugalmarketing.com, principledprofit.com, and grassrootsmarketingforauthors.com.
0: I'm sorry, I lost your question. Something about bookstores. (laughs) It's sort of a a summary of what you have said and bookstore versus non-bookstore markets. Okay, that, that it's very
2: tough to make it in the bookstores
0: and that if you are going to do so, you really need
2: to put a lot of energy into getting all your publicity ducks in a row and getting them all to uh, to be floating down the river at the exact same moment. And you want to be working cooperatively with the bookstores to Bring the best of what you both have to offer to make successful events and largely publicized events and events that people actually attend it's a two way relationship um, and it's it's very difficult it's one that I personally have not been very successful with. I have not done many bookstore events and the ones that I have done have not been terribly successful. I was much more successful actually with I, I guess my most successful live event in the book trade was a, a book launch. For one of my books that took place in a library, <laughs> and I had seventy people there, and uh, but it being a library, not a lot of them bought the book. <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> the library bought five copies, though. I, did, uh, I sold about twenty that day, I think.
0: Well, you uh, know, it all adds up: twenty here, ten there, five there, yeah, thirty God. there. And, and because
2: of the, the times we live in where short-run publishing is very practical, that's not a problem. Exactly. But it did take me, that particular book was the one I'm having fun cheaply, and it took me a very long time to sell through because I discovered that my market was so price resistant that even a $17 book that was going to teach them how to sell, save two to $5,000 a year, was not seen as a value. Interestingly enough, when I finally went out of print and converted to an e-book, I dropped the price in half and I got below that magic $10 point. And then it happened that MSN.com featured me the next month and I sold 60 of them from that.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> there <laughs> you just don't know. Exactly. And thank you again, Shell. And again, it's frugalmarketing.com or principled with a d, profit.com. and you've got yeah, some other Yes,
2: P-R-I-N-C-I-P-L-E-D-P-R-O-F. It.
0: .com. Good. Thank you again. Business
2: Ethics Pledge. I'd love it if people sign that. That's at businessethicspledge.org.
0: Oh, okay. Businessethicspledge.org. Great. So, But each one of your websites links to the other. so if they can remember one.
2: Yeah, particularly from Frugal Marketing, if you go to the order page on Frugal Marketing, you can pretty much get to the rest of them. Great.
1: Great. You've been listening to another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. You can hear us on the air every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. We'll be back on the air Thursday, February 8, 2007, when our topic will be Choosing the Right Title for Your Book. And our special guest who will be joining us is Margaret Lenoir of margaretlenoir.com. You can learn more about our guest on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated, and Loving Healing Press.
0: And for Reader Views, this is Irene Watson of Boston, Texas, signing off.
1: For Loving Healing Press, this is Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.